Perform this on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Pat Gray. A democratic socialist is just plain socialist. The democratic part was added by Vladimir Lenin. Why? Because he was worried that calling his economics either socialist or communist would turn off the Russian people. Pat Gray. So he thought they'd be more comfortable if you threw the word democratic in there. Just go ahead and elect me. I'll be your ruler for life. Pat Gray. Weekdays, noon to 3 Eastern, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. If you're searching for a voice of reason, if you're searching for a deeper dive into the topics that have to do with reform, that have to do with the most important issue in the 21st century, which I think is what 23%, almost a quarter of the world's population, is going to do with modernity. Either Muslims come to terms with with modernity, or the world is forever going to be hitting the whack-a-mole program against radical terrorism, Islamist terror, against Islamic states, against Sharia, invoked theocracies, against movements that are Islamist. And at this program... I hope if you're looking for solutions, if you're looking for a Muslim voice of freedom, of liberalism, a Muslim voice that's not only unafraid to take on the radical Islamists, but takes the offense to advance liberty, to advance the ideas of American freedom into the Muslim consciousness, you have to look no more because you've found the place. And if you've listened before, thank you for coming back. This week, I have to start by talking about Blasphemy Day. Blasphemy Day 2018 was last Sunday, September 30th, after our last, after my last podcast last Saturday. And a lot to talk about that, but basically, you know, listen, this battle, and I was struck by a piece that I read by Brandon, uh, um, I believe his name is um, Brandon O'Neill, and he wrote it at uh, Spiked. It was fantastic, even though I, I believe he's he's uh, a liberal and I'm a conservative, but that shouldn't matter when you talk about free speech, when you talk about freedom of expression. And the title of his piece was, We Are All Ayatollahs Now. And he wrote it on the occasion of the 30th anniversary of the Satanic Verses, a book that at the time got attention because it was written by Salman Rushdie and the Islamic Republic of Iran at the time Ayatollah Khomeini in the 80s basically declared him not only persona non grata, but said that he should be convicted of the ultimate punishment for blasphemy against Islam, which is murder, assassination, killing. He then had to go under protection. There was an official fatwa on him, and the world started to learn what a fatwa was. Fatwa is Arabic for juristic ruling about Islam, Islamic law. And his punishment was the death penalty. 
you can talk about whether Satanic Verses was well written or what the what the point of it was. But the bottom line is, is this was the sentinel event. In medicine, we talk about a sentinel event, how an error, a problem, a disease, symptom, presentation, or deterioration can be an event that then teaches us about so many more cases. Well, that initial sentinel event against Salman Rushdie by the Khomeinists, by Ayatollah Khomeini himself, was a sentinel event about the Islamic State apparatus, not only in the Shia side, but as we would see in the Sunni side much later. And also at the time, but people were ignoring. So in this piece, Brendan O'Neill basically lays out how you would think that after 30 years, that after 30 years since the publication of Satanic Verses and all that Salman Rushdie's been through now, obviously the fatwa was never removed, I don't believe, is he still under security i i don't know the details of that but he's obviously escaped to the west um but khomeini has won he's the moral victor in this despicable affair as o'neill says his backward outlook carries more weight these days than the decent liberalism of secular intellectuals and literary figures like rushdie now obviously he hasn't won because Rushdie is still alive, but it's not just about Rushdie himself. But how is the war for free speech? How is the war for liberalism versus theocracy in the land of Islam versus the land of war? And that's how the Islamists divide the world. They divide it into Darul Islam and Darul Harb. You and I have talked about that. And the secularists, those who reject Islamic theocracy, obviously live according to the Islamists in the land of war. Now, it is, as he says, it's striking how casually and perhaps thoughtlessly Western thinkers and activists now mimic Ayatollah Khomeini. This is the part I think that's important. When you ask, where are we 30 years after the satanic verses? I mean, listen, I love my faith. I'm about religious freedom. I'm not here to advocate for those ideas for the substance of the ideas that ridicule my faith, no more than I would for the substance of the ideas that ridicule Christianity or Judaism, or any faith for that matter, because I I am raised in a tradition and an ideology that believes in a deep, deep respect for religious beliefs. But I also understand as the quote attributed to Voltaire that may be from uh, an author in the 19th century, a bottom line says that I may disagree with your ideas, but I will die to protect your right to believe and express them, to paraphrase it. So where are we as Rushdie was called upon to die for his ideas because of what he expressed the true test of freedom is not what rational necessarily middle of the road casual debaters about various nuances would do but the the true test of freedom is those on the fringes who push the limits of what we accept and salman rushdie did that to one of the world's largest religions as far as people go and numbers go 
And yet, where are we? We see the dissension of political correctness, the dissension, uh, the withdrawal of books from publication by various major publishing houses. Britain, the very home of Rushdie, institutionalized Ayatollah-style intolerance of criticism of Islam. In 1997, the Runnymede Trust defined Islamophobia as criticism of Islam that treats it as inferior to the West or as unresponsive to change. And if you reject out of hand the criticism of the West made by Islam, then you are Islamophobic. That's the definition in Britain, Rushdie's home. And it's important to bear in mind that this definition of Islamophobia has been embraced by the actual Metropolitan Police in New York City. They detail the definition of Islamophobia that includes any view of Islam as static, separate, irrational, sexist, or aggressive, or as a political ideology. So therefore, my work, according to the New York Police, where you, as somebody who loves my faith that's trying to extricate the political Islamist theocracy from, from the faith. The Metropolitan Police views that as Islamophobia because we're critical of the faith as being static and, and, and separate and irrational from Western thought. So, according to the police, anyone who holds these entirely legitimate, secularist, critical views of Islam is guilty of an act of hatred, of phobia, of, in essence, blasphemy. So consider how extraordinary this is. He says, the very police that were responsible for protecting Rushdie from Ayatollah and found it unacceptable for people to insult Islam now believe it unacceptable for people to insult Islam. <laughs> this is where we are. So O'Neill, I think, really disagree with you know i might disagree with his politics and some of the other things he says in the piece but uh, you know hats off uh, there are those and this is why we should work across the aisle this is not a right conservative issue this is a left and right issue that the defense of free speech whether you're going to denigrate religion or not and yes the left and the 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 secularists the atheists may enjoy as we saw with christopher hitchens and and bill maher and others may enjoy ridiculing christianity and judaism and islam whatever it may be but their 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 ability and freedom to feel comfort in doing that can only exist in a world where religions don't feel threatened by that kind of speech. If a religion feels threatened by somebody who ridicules it or, or, or demeans it, then that religion does not deserve respect in the modern era. I'm sorry. Now, I don't believe my Islam, the way I interpret it, cares about what people say about it. Because those are words. Words don't have rights. Human beings do. But words do not. You can't prohibit words from being expressed. Or you can't demand that they be or not be expressed. They don't have rights. They're just ideas. But yet, as they talk about Blasphemy Day, which started back in 2006, after the Danish cartoons, the world did start to have a debate about how much protection should be afforded. And most of the West actually... On bended knee, on bended knee, 
decided not to take on radical Islam. And we've seen the development of icons like Ayan Hirsi Ali, uh, like um, so many others in our Muslim reform movement within the faith community that have decided that while we disagree with much of the ideas pushed forth, it is the protection of those ideas that gives us the freedom to reform against the theocrats within our faith. They call me just as much as an Islamophobe as they do Salman Rushdie, Ayan Hirsi Ali, and so many others. We live, as he says in his piece, we live in an era of secular Ayatollahism, and it is now so entrenched that there doesn't even have to be a fatwa for someone to withdraw or destroy cultural material that might be judged to be Islamophobic. In 2008, Random House decided against publishing Sherry Jones' novel, The Jewel of Medina, telling the story of Muhammad's relationship per her details with a 14-year-old wife, Aisha. And they thought, well, it might be offensive to some in the Muslim community. The theater court in London self-censored plays that were critical of Islam. They effectively issued fatwas against themselves. A UK students' union refused to permit the sale of Charlie Hebdo's lest it make Muslims feel unsafe. And this is after the 2015 terror attack that killed 13 or 14 innocent souls who worked at that paper. And after the slaughter, 242 literary figures wrote to PEN America to protest against its plan to give a courage award to the French magazine. We should not be rewarding such expression, they said. Charlie Hebdo's cartoons of the Prophet only cause humiliation and suffering to Muslims. They continued unbelievably. This is pure Ayatollahism. It is the denunciation of a magazine for the same reason Rushdie was denounced by Khomeini because it dared to insult Islam. So, the legacy of Ayatollah Khomeini continues. The radicalism the suppression of free speech continues. We have made little progress. When we come back, I want to talk about my little interaction about this with CARE, the Council for American Islamic Radicalization. This is Zuda Jess. We'll be right back on Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jesser. The Blaze Radio Network. The country has been pushed to the limit. Our political bonds have been torn apart. We need a true leader who can save us from certain doom. (laughs) Unfortunately, we can only find this guy. Hey, it's Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck is coming live to talk about the right path forward and to make fun of the people standing in the way. He might not be able to save the country, but at least we can all go down laughing. Glenn Beck Live, the Addicted to Outrage Tour, on tour this fall. For tickets, VIP packages, and more, visit glennbeck.com. Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We are talking about Blasphemy Day, how the front line of the battle against radical Islam, against political Islam, the root cause of radical Islam is free speech. And, and regardless of what you feel about the secularists, about atheists and others, they are often on the front line for whatever reasons uh, 
um, whether we agree with their ideas or not, we should defend them to the death. We should defend them as vigorously as we do our First Amendment, and it is their ability and freedom to criticize and denigrate our faiths, including Islam, Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, any faith, that ultimately will be the arbiter by which we measure the success or failure of Western civilization. And you look 30 years, as I mentioned last segment, you look 30 years now after Satanic Verses, Salman Rushdie, who was that, hopefully not the canary in a coal mine, it didn't end very well for the canary, but it was Sentinel Event, the Sentinel Event of the battle against fetwas, and we're losing. We're losing, as I said last segment from Brendan O'Neill. We are all Ayatollahs now. I mentioned to you that I had an interaction with Care National, one of the lead Islamist thugs, thuggish organizations in America, a offshoot, a legacy group of the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, basically Hamas in America. And in short order, they again proved themselves that to not only be tyrannical, but to be advocates openly in America for blasphemy law. Care, on blasphemy, the I decided to retweet a tweet from um, a Islamism map feed that basically highlighted a cartoon that was satirical, uh, sort of where Jesus and Muhammad, it was called Jesus and Mo, were together in an apartment, and it was mocking if you will, the two religious leaders, and as we perceive of them in Islam, to be the prophets of God. Christians perceive Jesus to be God. So, for Christians, it was even more offensive as it was denigrating God. For Muslims, it was denigrating two prophets. Well, Care took my retweet, my reposting, and said their Islamophobia watch made a statement earlier this week. They said Islamophobia enabler, which translates to their other term, Uncle Tom. Dr. Zudi Jasser retweets derogatory cartoon about prophets Muhammad and Jesus. Peace be upon them both. As they always need to say, no matter what the context. And they then quote, El, they then tag El Sarsour, Omar Soleiman, who by the way has radicalized many. You know about El Sarsour, they tagged Imam Juhari, Imam Suhaib Webb and Yasser Qadi, <laughs> sort of a series of Islamist radicals, Salafis that exist in the United States, have speak have spoken on it. Well, my good friend Majid Nawaz then tweets that and says, Are you Islamists trying to get Zudi Jasser killed? There's nothing wrong with criticizing Islam, especially but not exclusively if done by Muslims like him. He's defending satire here, not criticizing the religion himself. That word Islamophobia is a total misnomer for this very reason. And he makes a very good point, which was our response, my response to, to them, and also our American Islamic Forum for Democracy's response to them. Went back and forth with them on Twitter, and I said, You fools! I'm obviously not saying that about the Prophet myself, but on Blasphemy Day where thousands have been killed, in the name of preventing criticism of Islam, it is appropriate for Muslims to recognize the importance of the defeat of political Islam and blasphemy-based, sharia-based countries. 
and that's all I was doing is recognizing the freedom of the post of the poster to make that cartoon. I've been blocked from care, so they actually had the cowardice to tag me behind a block on Twitter, which shows exactly how free speech works for them. And then initially, within five or six tweets, our organization had not been blocked, but then they blocked us. Why? They blocked the American Islamic Forum for Democracy because we had the temerity, my staff had the temerity to ask them if they would condemn Hamas and identify them as a terrorist organization. Again, proving that Nehad Awad and his colleagues are simply Hamas on K Street. Hamas as an arm in Washington of, of the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation Lobby, the foot soldiers of the Islamists of the OIC. We just saw Nihad Awad met last week, and as I told you last week, I wouldn't know how to get a meeting with Rouhani, the president of Iran, and Erdogan if you strapped me down and tortured me. I would not know, but yet Awad met. Do we know what happened as a result? No, I think it should be all over media. Why are American citizens supposedly patriotic Muslims who are more likely insurgents, more likely seditious insurgents against this country at the Center for American Islamic Radicalization. But instead they're attacking Muslims all over Twitter and they say nothing about Erdogan, they say nothing about Rouhani. And some people say, well, you're focusing too much on care. Well, while they don't have a majority following of Muslims, they are the go-to group for a lot of the left media. MSNBC, C uh, uh, CNN has them on a lot more than they do our reformers. Why is that? The influence of their lobby, the PR firms that they hire in Washington and New York and Hollywood and elsewhere. Why is that? And ultimately, as... The IPT wrote in their review of the interactions, ultimately, they are the ones endorsing and enacting blasphemy laws in the United States. They end their piece in which they review the interaction that led to quite a fallout on Twitter this week. CARE has faced few other consequences for its history of radical and bigoted messages spewed by its officials throughout the country. Reporters rarely ask them and give CARE instead kid glove treatment. Despite that, CARE's first reaction is to go for the smear. Oppose Islamism and repost a provocative cartoon like I did? You're an Islamophobe. Make an incorrect assertion like their staff did briefly and then acknowledge it and correct it? They're invoked as Googlers for David Duke. And in those rare cases which you ask about your record, deflect and attack. So care is constantly on the offense, and then when we put them on the defense, they block and they invoke blasphemy laws in America. The Phoenix New Times here in Arizona, you can look them up, a far-left socialist magazine that is pretty prominent here, named... The head of Karamran Siddiqui here in Arizona as their best Twitter account, best blogger, or best Twitter account to follow for 2018. Now, if that's not hysterical, if it wasn't true, it'd be hysterical. Why? Because of his pithy responses to conservatives. Well, I'm sorry, this leftist magazine doesn't even know a lefty if it hit him. To say that Siddiqui is a lefty is absurd. 
He endorses Sharia law, endorses uh, uh, concepts that inside the mosque are nothing short of the most conservative ideas in America, far right of most people I know. And yet that misogyny, that anti-Semitism, that hate is not perceived as something un-American. It's ignored. It's denied. It's deflected. So, unfortunately, you look at free speech. You look at free speech in this day that they looked at the Blasphemy Day recognition of those who unlike in America where we can complain, we can try to bring it to the surface, but then it gets marginalized in Turkey, in Saudi Arabia, and Iran. These people get tortured, they get imprisoned. The people running the government, running the state police, running the military are the cares, are the Nihad Awads of the Middle East. So if we are to defeat them, we need to wake up. We need to wake up to the fact that Nihad Awad in Saudi Arabia is King Salman. In Iran, it's Hassan Rouhani. In Turkey, it's Recep Erdogan. Thuggish tyrants who use the term Islamophobia to suppress any free thinking, any critical thinking. So, to them, free speech is a sword and a shield. They invoke it as a shield. They become a victim. They claim to be victims of bigotry and Islamophobia. They use the word Islamophobia and the concept as a shield to restrict others' free speech and claim their own. And they use it as a sword in order to name and demean and libel and slander their enemies. Smear, smear, smear is what they do to Muslims that question them. To anyone that questions their ideologies, and they say they're anti-Muslim, but question them as being supporters of Hamas, as being anti-Semitic bigots, as being anti-Israel fascists, then you get labeled a bigot. As their Facebook page that one of their goons probably put on me that says, Zudi Jasser is a clown and Uncle Tom. Couldn't get it removed from Facebook as hate speech. No, they leave all the anti-Semitic, all the pro-Islamist stuff, but they remove the anti-Islamist stuff as being hate and bigotry. This is the front line, ladies and gentlemen, in the war. They use free speech as a sword and a shield. We need to be on the offense to expose the radicalism, the, the conveyor belt of political Islam in the land where we are blessed to have a First Amendment and to have a Constitution. This is Zuda Jasser on Reform This. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. $37.9 billion in commitments that are being made. You know what? I'm a giving guy. Mm-hmm. I want to double that. I want. I want to match yeah. that. You're gonna match it. I'm gonna match it. In commitments in made. Commitment you're making made. the commitment. I'm gonna make a commitment. Are you actually gonna give the money? No. no oh, okay. No, okay. No, no, but, no, no. But you're making the commitment. commitment. The morning blaze. Weekday morning, six to nine Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform.
Perform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We're talking about blasphemy laws, about the way Islamist groups use freedom to claim victimization, protect themselves from criticism, to invoke blasphemy laws. This is something I'll be talking to you a lot because I, I have to tell you, once the glass breaks on their facade of representing Muslims, on their facade of claiming Islam doesn't need reform, Muslims don't need reform, they will no longer be powerful. They will lose the tribalism that they that they crave in order to maintain domination in our community, and they will lose legitimacy and credibility and will be marginalized by real reformers who believe in modernity, who believe in Western values, and who are faithful Muslims that are able to have credibility within our community. How do we get there? How do we get there? It's funny, on Twitter uh, a few days ago, uh, after my whole interaction, uh, CARE put out a uh, uh, the Council on American Islamist Radicalization, uh, Council for American Islamist Radicalization, put out a action alert and said, the deadline nears for CARE's 2018 American Muslim of the Year Award nominations. They'll be presented at the 24th Annual Banquet, recognizing the achievements and contributions of American Muslims. And... Kenneth Friedman responds, Excellent, cool, I nominate Dr. Zudi Chasser. <laughs> That's great. You gotta love it. You gotta love it. I didn't see that until somebody photoed it because I'm blocked on their feed. And you're reminded of uh, the gentleman that came to accept his award a few years ago. The gentleman who protected the Muslim woman from hate, from attacks on a subway in Portland. And he came and heard them in the presentation, in the event, before they gave him the award, they heard him, I'm sorry, he heard them denigrate this country, denigrate the freedoms they're given, and basically he, on behalf of his father, when he got that award, and thanking them, said that he would not accept it. So, again, the details I've not been able to get down. I heard it from somebody who attended the event. Uh, but at the end of the day, this shows, I think, what we're up against. Austria, according to John Rosamanda from the Investigative Project on Terrorism, has called this week for the banning of the four-fingered Muslim Brotherhood salute. So this, this four-finger sign is a rabia sign that is a unifying hand gesture that's done to support the Muslim Brotherhood. And so many members who claim not to be part of it have been photoed uh, with that sign. And it often is pretty much a given that they wave the sign in solidarity as a sign of solidarity with the Muslim Brotherhood. I refuse to ever make that sign. I think the Brotherhood is one of the primary cancer cells of radical Islamism around the planet. The Austrian government, according to John, is considering outlawing the four-fingered sign as support for the Brotherhood. Turkish President Erdogan popularized it and began using it after Egypt's military toppled the Brotherhood in 2013. 
Muslim Brotherhood sympathizers around the world use the image on websites, posters, literature. If the ban is approved, anyone in Austria who flashes the salute could be fined $4,600. It's being used by Muslim Brotherhood supporters in the U.S., including Egyptian American for Freedom and Justice, EAFJ, and former DHS official Mohamed Elbieri. So Erdogan's role in popularizing the gesture may have played a role in why they wanted to declare it illegal as Austria is beginning to figure out how to try to marginalize the influence of Turkey in its country. Now, the pro-Erdogan Turkish fascist group, the Grey Wolves, is one of the most infamous groups. Its member Mohammed Mehmet, if you will, Aka, tried to assassinate Pope John Paul II in 1981. The wolves have become, according to John, some of Erdogan's greatest non-Islamist supporters and aim to unify all the Turkic peoples in Turkey across throughout Central Asia. So Erdogan's ruling AKP, the Justice and Development Party, basically the Muslim Brotherhood, backed the constitutional changes allowing him to consolidate power in Turkey. Now, Turkey hasn't responded to, to Austria's move, they recently closed seven Turkish-linked mosques in June due to concerns over political Islam. He complained about parallel societies, that political Islam and radicalization. The Turks responded by accusing the Austrians of racism. And the imams were paid by foreign government, by the Turks, by the directed of Dianet Affairs, religious affairs also called the Dianet. So, and they also had a close relationship with Turkey's MIT intelligence. The point here, ladies and gentlemen, how do you defeat Islamism's infiltration into our societies? The hand gesture is one symbol. Their literature is another. Their behaviors are another. Their clothing is another. So personal freedoms are the mechanism that they will use to spread like wildfire. But similarly, the way to defeat bad ideas is with good ideas. Not through force, not through torture, not through outlawing or fines. Now, if they're advocating violence, if they're advocating overthrow, that's a whole other thing. That's not permissible under law. But, four-fingered salutes, if you think you're going to defeat the Muslim Brotherhood by fining them for raising four fingers, then you don't understand the power of the Islamist movements, especially when they thrive as victims. The Muslim Brotherhood won an election in Egypt because it thrived as victims under Nasser, Sadat, and Mubarak for 60 years, 50 plus years. And then they won an election and failed within a year and a half and motivated the majority of the population to displace them from the control of the government. So, as we mentioned in the shutting of mosques months ago on a podcast in which I talked to you about what Austria was doing with that, when we look at how to defeat them, make the four-fingered salute something that you post like a Nazi sign. Have it become as, as, as radical to society, to Austrian society, as a swastika is. Have it have the same symbolism. Not by denigrating the faith, but by denigrating the Islamist movements like Hamas, Al-Qaeda, ISIS. Start to equate 
the Muslim Brotherhood ideologically through debate with other Muslims, other reformists that reject these ideas. And then you will slowly begin to defeat it. Just as they use free speech as their sword to spread and evangelize and do da'wah, which they, in Islam, da'wah is simply education. The Islamists, it's education and proselytization, actually, to spread the religion. Now, I, I don't believe in it. I don't believe it's not only not necessary, I, I don't think it's anything uh, that is my role to do or something that we do in the Islam that I believe in, but I guess people have their forms of belief and practice and how they uh, exemplify their faith. And I truly believe if you live a good life and you're humble and gracious, that that's the best example of what your faith is. It doesn't need proselytization. Now, the Islamists proselytize not only their religion, but their political movement because they want to gain followers in, in a uh, Stalinsky kind of way, in a leftist, tribalist, collectivist kind of way. So you want to defeat that, you defeat it with other ideas. Their sword and their shield is the use of socialist, economic, collectivist, pro-government means by which they protect themselves with the weapons of freedom and liberty, and they shield themselves from criticism. If we're going to defeat that, we need to not only use liberty, separation of mosque and state, national identity, patriotism as our sword against their sedition, against their insurgent ideas of sharia of separate societies to defeat islamist movements but in an offense appeal to muslims that the best society they would ever want to live in is a liberal one that did not force women to be subjugated by men that did not within the society force ideas of anti-semitism and hate hate of the, the systems that they live in, of the West that they live in, that did not advance uh, advocacy for the cutting of limbs for those who steal and other hadood punishments, etc. That needs to end. It needs to be countered. So yes, the Rabia sign of four fingers should be marginalized, should be looked upon like a Nazi symbol for those who want to take away our freedoms. But don't outlaw it. Don't fine it. Don't make it illegal. They'll find some other way to represent their ideas. They'll move underground. They thrive underground. You can't defeat ideas that don't have the light of day upon them to defeat them. The Turks now are dealing with the power of the AKP because the era of Ataturk and the secular nationalists of Turkey pushed the Islamists underground, and they never really defeated the Ottoman Islamist ideologies. And now those chickens are coming home to roost. And they're headed towards one of the most theocratic, dictatorial tyrannies, not only in Europe, but in the world. I think the role in NATO needs to be questioned, needs to be suspended. And we need to start calling them what they are. And this little conflagration with Austria about mosques, about infiltration, about Muslim Brotherhood, I think is only just, just the beginning. This is Zudi Jasser. We'll be right back for our last segment. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.
reaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This. I'm going to end on one of the cross-cultural stories. You know, I've talked before many times about the importance of reaching into large populations that you're not going to reform Islam, you're not going to reform Muslims by simply doing armchair Friday night discussions in mosques here or there. It's just, it's not going to happen that way. It has to be a mass movement. And mass movements, as we saw in the Middle East, started through massive viral social media changes on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. This is why I I, I was pulling my hair out trying to get the attention of Ariana Grande and so many others after the Manchester bombing and ISIS attack that maybe, maybe an iconic singer whose fans were killed as they exited would come to her senses that her tour was attacked, the Dangerous Woman tour was attacked because of what she stood for. But still, she fell back to what was comfortable for many in the West who often feel our culture in the West is to blame rather than to lead and ultimately never even mentioned Islamists, terrorists, or others and simply was worried about backlash. Well, this week, there's another cultural event happening, and thanks to the leadership of Ryan Morrow at the Clarion Project and the Clarion Intelligence Network and his unbelievable work on this, I mean, I don't know where his sources are or how he gets it, but he does have some deep sources, especially on the Fukra files. I would ask you to go to his website, Fukra, F-U-Q-R-A, files.com, and look at some of the research. But the hype this week, and this is about UFC, the cross culture is UFC 229. There's a fight this weekend. Tonight, actually, this is released on Saturday. So the fight is going to be tonight. Conor McGregor and Khabib Nurmagomedov Nurmagomedov at UFC 229. The hype's been building, as Ryan said, by the minute. And yet, every day there's more and more being released and discussed by Conor McGregor himself about the radical connections of his opponent's handler and maybe even his opponent himself, who's connected to Chechnya's president, radical Sharia government president himself. McGregor confronted the UFC's biggest manager, Ali Abdelaziz, who manages his Dagestani rival, Khabib Nurmagomedov. Abdelaziz used to be a member of Jamaat al-Fukra, as explained in the Fukra files. Abdelaziz's involvement with Fukra and the U.S. government was revealed by Morrow and Moyer, who were approached by Abdelaziz in September 2010 about telling his story. Moyer wrote a book in 2012 in which he told about his story. And then additional details were discovered, and we're not exactly sure. It's not exactly sure whether he was simply working for the FBI as an agent or was he a double agent also feeding information back against this country and for terrorists. Pictures from Twilight in America 
had shown Abdelaziz at the Muslims of America or the Fukra event that included interfaith outreach with FBI personnel. He told Moyer that Fukra's BS, the U.S. government at such events, used to happen on a regular basis. So he trained with them, provided information, but then later this led to training with them further. And Ryan, I'd ask you to go to Clarion Project and look at the story as he lays it out. It's in details. It's about the relationship with Abdelaziz, with Fukra, uh, and their radical connections. Suspicions that Abdelaziz was acting as a double agent, he strongly denied, but his relationship with the FBI ended, and sometime later, so did his relationship with the NYPD. The U.S. government sought to deport him back to Egypt. So if he was really just an agent and a nice guy, why were they seeking to deport him? And yet, McGregor, in a press conference, referred to Abdelaziz as the terrorist snitch. He referred to him as a mad terrorist. He shocked the MMA world, the mixed martial arts world, and sparking massive interest in what he was referring to. It's like, why is McGregor calling this guy? Is it racist? And yet, there were very few references in millions on social media, as Ryan points out, to Islamophobia or bigotry or, or other dismissals or denials. McGregor trash-talked his opponent, as they often do, about ties between his UFC actors and dictators, including Islamist extremists and the Russian government. He mocked his Dagestani rival, Khabib Nurmagomedov, over his father's ties to Chechen dictator Ramzan Kadyrov, a Putin-backed, as Ryan notes, Islamist extremist known for his vast human rights abuses, including the purging of homosexuals. He said he'd condone the honor killings of homosexuals by their Muslim relatives and would not enforce laws prohibiting it. Sounded like Ahmadinejad in Iran. Sounded like the head of Saudi Arabia. And by the way, this was interviewed also. He said the same things on a major international interview on HBO, Real Sports, or possibly 60 Minutes. Look it up. The Chechen prime minister, in response, called McGregor a Mexican blank, an outrageous clown. So, you know, listen. He wasn't just mocking him. McGregor was calling out some of his connections using UFC and also advancing radical Islamist goals. So the hype brings in a connection in a major cultural event that millions will be watching. And so many have highlighted the business success of the UFC industry, the UFC product, if you will. And the major fight that's happening this weekend highlights one of the connections to not only a major Islamist Sharia state of Chechnya that has radicalized tens of thousands with Chechnyan fighters going to fight with ISIS in Syria and elsewhere. But the handler of the fighter from 
Dagestan has connections that ultimately were with Al-Fukra, were with Muslims of America, a possible terror organization that should have been designated as such as some of us Muslim reformers had signed and asked to have happened along with the Clarion Intelligence Network. So what's going to happen with this? All this attention, will it, there's very little backlash as people are always worried about that this UFC fighter calls him a terror snitch, calls him other things because the story is true. Well, in other media and CNN, MSNBC, etc., you say such things and nobody cares about the truth. You'll still be called an Islamophobe. You'll still be called a bigot. But that's not what's happening with the audience at UFC. So what's going to happen next? Why, as we shed more light, as more light is shed in this cultural environment where it's not about sort of pontificating about the threats, non-threats, the connections, non-connections. This is guttural entertainment and boxing and ultimate fighting. What's going to happen? Will this begin to peel away the veneer of those who don't adhere to Western principles of modernity and secularism and instead benefit from and live within Islamist radical states and work with radical terror organizations like Jamaat al-Fukra, Muslims of America. Clarion Project outlined, has shown a couple political candidates even that ran for Congress in Massachusetts connected with these organizations. And then I think there was another one in Alaska or something like that, that and one left the campaign, the other one did not, but thankfully lost miserably. But at the end of the day, what is going to be the threshold in which these no longer become little odd stories, but become pertinent stories, just like they showed when they when they when they attack appropriately so fascist groups that carry tiki torches or other things, whatever it is that we see on CNN and elsewhere. Why don't we also see similar stories on radicalism when it's hitting cultural interfaces like the UFC? Something to think about. Well, as always, it has been an honor to be with you this week. We've gone from Blasphemy Day to the Council on American Islamic Radicalization and their advocacy for blasphemy laws in America and I interactions with them on Twitter to Conor McGregor and UFC. We always cover a lot of ground, don't we? It's always great to be with you. God bless. We'll see you next week. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network.